Father, we just thank you for this time in your word. Father, we just open our hearts to your word this evening and to you that they may be changed. Our hearts would be changed, Lord. We come here to change, Lord, not to stay the same. Lord, we know in your word you say you accept us just the way we are, but you love us too much to have us stay that way. There's so much more available for us that you have for us. So much of which is just laid out for us in your word. I just pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, if you'd give us that understanding here in your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Psalms. Just before the Proverbs, it has been said that Psalm is the Psalms is for worship. Proverbs is for work. Psalms are for reading on your knees. Proverbs are for reading on your feet. Psalms are for talking to God. The uh, Proverbs is God talking to man. Psalms are for reading uh, in the closet of prayer, and the other is for reading in the office of business, a very practical book, the book of Proverbs. What is a proverb? For those of you who know Latin, uh, I think proverbs is actually from a Latin, a couple of Latin words and of words. And, and so the idea uh, is that they're sort of short, pithy sayings, uh, short sayings which have uh, a practical punch and they are written in such a way that they will be remembered. Most of the Proverbs were written by Solomon, psalmist famous uh, around the wor- world for his practical wisdom. People would travel from all around the world to get his wisdom. And I think it is quite telling that in spite of all his wisdom, Solomon played the fool at the end of his life. His wisdom did not sustain him like David's worship sustained him. That's not a reason to avoid this book, but it's a reminder that wisdom without worship can spell big-time trouble in your life, and there has just been a history in the church and the life of individuals who, they, if, when they don't combine wisdom with the worship of God, they're bound for trouble. Over time, Solomon departed from simple worship of God. We saw that when we were um, in the book of First Kings. He tried to substitute the simple worship of God with parting, materialism, sex, intellectualism, power, prosperity, only to find in the end it was all vanity. And that's where we're actually going after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, which chronicles that whole search that he went on. It is believed that uh, towards the end of his life he... Turn back to the Lord, but oh, the damage was done. So always combine wisdom with the worship of God. So Proverbs chapter 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. And so this actually the first really almost the first couple chapters are kind of like uh, an introduction. And what the purpose of Proverbs, it says here, is to give impart wisdom, practical down to earth wisdom. Now, there's two ways to gain wisdom in life. One is to, just through the experience of life, you you gather wisdom just by going out and experiencing life. 
There's another way to gain wisdom, and that is simply by reading God's word and believing it. If you gather and accumulate wisdom simply by experience, you will find that a lot of the wisdom that you are uh, gaining comes at a cost of uh, a, a lot of pain in your life. Whereas if you are willing to accept God's word right as it is, you can spare yourself so much of the pain. I think of, there's so many examples of this. I just think of the seventh commandment. Anyone know what the seventh commandment is? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the Bible not only has that commandment, but also has so much to say about the devastating consequences of adultery. Well, you can choose to learn that there are devastating consequences associated with that particular thing, adultery, by going out and just doing it, doing the adultery thing, finding out, wow, there is some serious pain that goes along with this thing called adultery. Or you can spare yourself of all the pain and just obey God's word. <laughs> and the Proverbs is just about trying to spare us of the pain. It's just, among other things, among, well, really the whole Bible does this, but Proverbs in particular, it's saying, look, to, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding and justice and judgment and equity. And it's trying to just turn our eyes and get us just to believe in the word of God to spare us of the pain. We go out for a number of years, our church does on Saturday nights, witnessing. And I just wonder, you, you, I strongly, strongly recommend that you go out with our team on Saturday night. Guillermo leads a team of folks on Saturday night, and they, they go out just talking to people about God. And I tell you, 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 uh, you, you have the, the, the most um, interesting conversations and one of the stranger witnessing episodes I ever had. I just talked with a woman. We were talking with a woman, and she just... She, she, she basically here... Her argument was that she didn't need God and her life was a demonstration of it because um, many of the things that I knew, she had learned herself in life completely without God, although she was very quick to say that she had gone through an enormous amount of pain to get there. And I was just telling her, but you could have spared yourself of all the pain. Um, if you had just accepted what God said and God's priority for your life. But no, she was, she was really happy that she did it all without out God. But this is why uh, Proverbs uh, was given. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So first things first, he says, The fear of God, of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now we've been talking about the fear of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2 last week we were talking about the fear of the Lord. How when people saw God moving in such great ways. It says uh, that they had a fear of God. But it was a godly fear. There's a godly fear which is pure and it's good. Uh, but then there's uh, another kind of fear. Uh, the kind of fear that maybe a child has of an abusive fa uh, parent that's not a good fear. And if that's the kind of fear that someone has of God, the fear that uh, a, a, an abused child would have of their abusive parent, that's, that's a bad thing. And many, many people say, well, fear of God, that must be a terrible thing. No, it's a wonderful thing. But you do have to understand what it is. If your fear drives you away from God... That's not a godly fear. If your fear drives you to the Lord, that's a godly fear. If, you're, if, if the fear that you have, the godly fear, if it's a godly fear, it'll make you love God more. And as we learned in Acts chapter 2, a godly fear is accompanied by gladness. 
Remember we read that? It, it, it said that, that, that people, they developed a fear of the Lord, but then in the, virtually the next verse practically it says, and they went from house to house of fellowshipping and their hearts were filled with gladness. Perfectly consistent, a fear of the Lord and gladness. In fact, if a fear of the Lord is not accompanied by uh, gladness, it's an unhealthy fear. And that's not the kind of fear that the Bible teaches is healthy at all. So, uh, uh, fear of the Lord, um, you know, it, 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 we would do well to study what that means because it's the, it says here it's the beginning of wisdom, a uh, big beginning of knowledge. Actually, at the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, it says the same thing, where Solomon says at the end of a, the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, uh, fear the Lord and obey his commandment, commandments. This is the whole of man, the whole duty of man. Uh, the Bible also says that in, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is the dread of sin. So if you fear God, you dread sin. You just look at sin and, and you run from it. You hate it. Fear of the Lord is hating evil. You know, in our society, we can become so accustomed to evil that we no longer even think it's evil. And you probably... Uh, You've probably heard this analogy before, but if you throw a frog into boiling water, the frog just jumps right out of the water. But if you put a, a frog in lukewarm water, the frog will be like, oh, cool, give me a lily pad, man. I like this place. And you, and you turn the, the, the heat up slowly, um, slowly, and then the, the frog's not going to go anywhere. It will just sit there, and eventually it'll boil to death, not knowing the gradual increase in temperature. Well, that's how oftentimes living in our society, we become uh, desensitized to evil. And I just had a great example uh, in, in our very own family. Uh, we were sitting around the breakfast table yesterday morning, um, Stephanie and I and our our five kids, uh, ages eight, and that's Faith, our youngest is Faith, uh, up to Sam, Sam is 17. So we're sitting around and we're kind of joking around and we're talking about, um, we're talking about uh, uh, this woman named Hel- Ellen who uh, cuts all of our hair um, except for Sam. He no longer gets it uh, cut by Ellen. Um, he goes to uh, a cooler place. Uh, but anyway, um, and uh, Ellen cuts our hair. But Ellen works at this at building where probably 75% are elderly people, some of them quite elderly. And we were sort of, you know, um, we were sort of just making light. Is that a, the right way to say it? Of the fact that, and these old people would come down to Ellen, the hairdresser, because they, you know, they always come to her. You know, we're like, oh yeah, they come down to her every other week because they don't have anything better to do. And someone else said, yeah, and they come down the day early because they forget the time. And we were just laughing at these things. And all of a sudden, Faith, our eight-year-old, says, "You're not supposed to be making fun of people." And I didn't even know what she was talking about. I'm like, does she, is she like, you know, every once in a while a kid will just start talking about a completely different subject. Did, did she just start talking about like a completely different thing? She goes, you're, she repeat herself. You're not supposed to make fun of people. It's like, what are you talking about, Faith? She's going, you're making fun of the, those old people. And, and, and I, I was like, wow, that is amazing. And that's why Jesus says, unless you, uh, unless you have, uh, the faith of a small child, you know, will not see the kingdom of God. She's absolutely right. We have been, become so desensitized to late night talk show guys and these radio guys and the, the sarcasm and the cynicism and just laughing about everyone in our society. We think it's okay that we don't even notice it anymore. And it was just really convicting to me here an eight year old rebuking. Uh, the rest of her family, praise the Lord, uh, you know, uh, when your kids do that. My, my daughters, man, they've been rebuking me ever since they were three years old, man. I just, they're good at rebuking daddy. Anyway, praise the Lord. Um, the fear of the Lord. 
is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 8, my son, hear the instruction of your father. So I made sure that Sam uh, sat right in front of me this evening. <laughs> my son, hear the instruction of your father. You've heard the Mark Twain saying, when I was 14, I, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to be around him. By the time I was 21, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in seven years. So, uh, you know, kids... Uh, have sort of, they, they grow up particularly in their teenage years, oh, my parents, and, and, and they just have this thing, surely I, they're like living uh, in the olden days and they don't have all the wisdom that I do. Well, this says, my son, hear the instruction of your father, do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head. And chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, lie, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill all our houses with spoil. And so many young people, young men and women, run after riches in the United States of America. You know, taking, you know, jobs and employment that, you know, they're just wanting to get rich quick before their time. Verse 14, cast in your lot among us, let us all have one purse. In other words, we'll share in our riches. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for they are, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the, light, the sight of any bird, but they lie and wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone greedy for gain. So it says in verse 7, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, meaning, you know, what he's trying to say here is, is that, look, if a bird is seeing you spread out its net and, and the trap before it, he's not going to fall for it. But some people are so stupid that they'll fall into the trap of the enemy being blinded because of greed. That not, In other words, even a bird would know better than to fall into this trap. But because of their greed, they fall into it. And so, um, and so, just the importance of in your youth, uh, not casting aside the wisdom of your mother and father, and 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 you know the the ways in which you were instructed. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, we are taught that the Old Testament is the, the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And that when Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, he, remember, he, he spent 40 days, really, teaching the disciples, going through Scripture, and showing them how the Old Testament was a that, that he was a fulfillment of it, the law, the prophets, and the wisdom. You may say, well, how is the book of Proverbs? How is the book of Proverbs? How is Jesus a fulfillment of the book of book of Proverbs? We read in the Psalms, right? So much of the Psalms were fulfilled in Christ. So many of them are messianic, specific prophecies, prophesying about Jesus. What about the book of Proverbs? Well, 1 Corinthians one twenty nine says, But of God you are in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus rather, who became for us wisdom from God. You want wisdom? Get to know Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 says, In Jesus are hid all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is 
personified in Christ. Now, in these following passages that we're about to read, wisdom is referred to as a she. Nevertheless, the passages are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It says, verse 20, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the opening of the gates in the, in the city. She speaks her, uh, her words. And, and really, this is a full, you know, these verses are not only fulfilled in Christ, they're fulfilled in, in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is really draws all men, all women to himself. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares, it says in verse 20. And this is what she cries. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Now, the word simple in the book of Proverbs, if you do a word study of it, it's a little different than the word simple that we think of. The word simple uh, carries with it uh, someone who loves immorality in any form of immorality uh, may take. It's someone who has left the wisdom of God for uh, something that is moral, for something that is immoral. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorners, scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I have called you and you refused. I have stretched out my hands and no one regarded because you disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and, distress and anguish come upon you, it is believed that people who are in hell will have a recognition and awareness of all the times that God, you know, the things that were said to them about the Lord, drawing them to the Lord, the rebukes that they had during their life of their lifestyle and their unbelief and, and just the many, many, many times that they were, you know, that the Lord was, was drawing them to him of which they rejected. And that's what this is talking about. When your terror comes upon you like a storm, verse 27, your destruction like a whirlwind. It says in verse 26, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. And, you know, again, that's speaking sort of in proverbial language. It's not that here that God is taking delight. Uh, the Bible says that God, uh, he, you know, he hates the death even of the wicked. But it's, uh, it's speaking here in proverbial language that, uh, you know, when they're in, when their terror comes, that they will know. They will realize what they have rejected. Verse 28, Then they will, will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge, verse 29, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. And that in the the story of of Lazarus and the rich man he once he realizes uh, the rich man that he was in hell he was like oh, oh please let me come to where you are he was looking at Abraham and Lazarus he did it diligently but there was a chasm between which he could not pass Jesus says verse 30 they would have none of my counsel despise my every rebuke there for they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. We actually haven't really listened. Heard, we actually haven't read a proverb yet. You don't get a proverb, I don't think, until chapter 3. This is all just an introduction of the importance of 
wisdom. Chapter 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to, uh, to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for, uh, for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, the Bible, it seems like such a drag. Well, it's been said, moisten it with a sweat of your brow. Are you, are you being like a miner? Here, the allusion here is to a miner. Verse 4, seek her as silver. Uh, search for her as hidden treasure. Are you, do you really have your pickaxe out? Are you hammering away um, at it and really seeking um, uh, the, uh, the word of God? Are you hungering for it? I mean, this may seem a little corny, but there's this parable of a, a man who went to a wise man and said, well, where do I find wisdom? And the, and the wise man said, follow me. And so the guy started following uh, the wise man. And he would say, oh, where's this guy going? He's, he's, he's heading to the ocean. He takes him into the ocean. The wise man's just going straight out into the ocean, goes out to, you know, he's about chest deep. The wise man turns around and he takes the guy and he dunks, he thrusts his head underneath the water and just keeps his head there for two minutes and the guy comes up, you know, gasping uh, for air. And, and the wise man says to him, when you uh, seek wisdom, that as much as you sought that breath right now, then you'll find it. And it may seem a little corny, but it is really is the case. You need to diligently seek the Lord. You need to, uh, you know, you need to treat uh, this this Bible here, like a, a diamond mine in South Africa, and, and we're just famous for diamonds, and just go in and, and just, uh, just really get, get into it and, and search. And, and it says you will find. You, you'll find the treasures uh, there. Verse 7 says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So um, for those who seek the Lord... God is storing up sound wisdom for them. He's storing up sound wisdom for them. Verse 10 says, When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of the upright to walk in the ways of darkness. Verse 15, whose ways are crooked, again, wisdom will, wisdom will protect you from these people. People who, verse 15 says, whose ways are crooked who's, uh, and who are devious in their path to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. Now there's something, it, it says here in verse 16, it talks about the seductress who flatters with her words. You know, men just have this ego thing where they're, they are suckers for flattery. You know, oh, you look so strong. Will you, will you open this bottle of olives for me? You know, this type of deal. And, 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 and uh, but what this is saying is that as you, Store up godly wisdom, it will protect you from this. You will see the flattery for what it is, and you will also see and know where it's taken, going to take you. It says her house, verse 18, leads down to death and her path to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. There, you know, I have seen this exact same thing happen. Men lured away from the 
uh, from the, 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 the wife of, of their youth and they're lured away by flattering words and I've seen it with my very eyes. Just lives just completely destroyed. And someone uh, close to me, uh, just over a period of time, just wound up uh, in and out of mental facilities because of f- because he followed an immoral, flattering woman. And and you know there is something here. That, there's something that cannot be regained once you do that. It says in verse 19, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the path of life. There's something that's forever lost. Now, of course, there's grace. Of course, there is. There's grace in Christ. We talked a lot about that this morning. About in spite of whatever failure that we have, there is grace there. But there's something lost that can never be recaptured. And you can either believe the word of God and spare yourself of that consequence. Or you can go out and experience it for yourself. And the pain that comes along with it. But also the consequences that comes along with it. One of which is that you've lost something that you'll never get back. Verse 20, so you may walk in the ways of goodness, keep to the paths of the righteousness, for the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Now, as we read the book of Proverbs, you will have verses like verses 21 and 22 where it says that the the blameless will remain in the land and the wicked will be cut off from the earth and you know that's a general principle some sometimes of which we see do not happen in the world right but they are here really as principles for us to follow principles that really um in that you know over time that they are fulfilled but you know there there you obviously you can't take verses 21 and 22 and 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 you know you look around it's just what's happened in the last 10 20 years and there are certain times where uh the wicked seem to thrive and the upright are uh are cut off i think of just some of the persecution that i've been reading about in Pakistan, where the you know, churches are getting blown up and burned and, and things like that. But we can still take heart as we read these, knowing that God will be faithful to this word, and over time we will be we will uh, reap, or in some cases our children will reap. In some cases, those who we've sown righteousness into will reap what has been sown. Verse chapter 3 says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. And again, another example here. Sometimes uh, the uh, really godly, righteous young men and women will die in their 20s. That doesn't annul the the truth of this. This is just a principle. This is what God intends uh, uh, for us. He wants to prosper us. Now, sometimes some of us have the great benefit of being taken in our youth and to be absent from the body is to be present uh, with the Lord. This is a general principle that God preserves his people. It says, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. I challenge you to look at the last 200 years of history and test this against it. You go down into to, to places where the Lord, uh, you go to places where the Lord has uh, never been uh, preached and declared and the word of God does not thrive and you will see uh, an average lifespan that's dramatically less than those areas where the Word of God has thrived. It's just a fact. Uh, 
Um, so the word of God is tested in that way. Verse 3, this is a wonderful verse. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So if you want to find favor in the eyes of God and man, keep mercy and truth and combine them in your heart. Some people are excellent in truth, but they have no mercy. They're so right about their doctrine, they're dead right. There's no mercy in their life. They don't know mercy. Other people excel in mercy, but they don't care about truth. Slape agape is what they have. And both, both lead to so much trouble, you know. When you people who just have the truth but no, no mercy, to people who just have the mercy but no truth, they, it, it, both situations winds up to be just a complete mess. The Bible says those things need to be combined. And, and again, who is all this a fulfillment of? Jesus Christ. Those things met perfectly in the life of Christ. It's the one life where mercy and truth were in complete absolute perfect equilibrium and balance the life of Christ mercy mercy and truth met I think of Jesus and the adulterous woman how many times have I seen one of these TV preachers um, who were confronted in sin some uh, adulterous uh, sin and you know they're writing out of their car their their house in their rolls royce or whatever and they're stopped by the media and they say something like well you know he was never sinned let him catch the first stone they say but they're forgetting something right about that that story they're forgetting something what did jesus what's the last thing he said to the woman go and sin no more that's an example of combining mercy and truth I mean, it was just a wonderful, powerful, powerful example of combining the truth. Verse 5 and 6, some of the most well-known verses in the Bible. A lot of people will tell you this is their favorite verse. And let me tell you, these are great favorite verses if they happen to be yours. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So, you know, Steve, you're supposed to go to the other side of the valley, and Goliath is waiting for you there, and you're going to take... Uh, a little stone or something, and you're going to throw it at this eight-foot giant, and you're going to bring him down. Well, that makes no sense, Lord. That, you know, that, that goes completely contrary to my understanding, Lord. How could you ever ask me to do such a thing? And so often, when what God calls you to do will run completely contrary to your own understanding. When you know, when the Lord called Steffi and me up here to to Boston from Miami, I was born here, moved away, and went to a bunch of places. I was in Miami. It just to start a church. How am I supposed to go up to Boston and begin a church? I don't know anyone out there. I had no contacts at all. I had some. You know those kind of cousins and uncles who you really don't know? You grow up not knowing? I had a few of those down on the Cape. Of course, the Cape and Boston are like completely different worlds. But but coming into the city and uh, not knowing uh, anyone up here and uh, the particular job, the particular career that um, I was in, I can say that now, past tense, 
because I just I just uh, um, had my last day at my part-time job last week in this particular career. But they, it's very, very difficult to change states because you're licensed in one state. Very difficult to move to a different part of the country. And uh, I remember going to a recruiter, and the recruiter literally told me, he said, he wouldn't even try. He suggested to me, I wouldn't even try this. I wouldn't even try going up there. Um, and uh, how was I ever going to move up there? And so it ran contrary to my own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So, so what happened to me is even as I, I in every way, just acknowledged him in my life. I had given him my marriage. I had given him my job. I had given him the, the first fruits of everything that I had. You know, we were just walking full on with the Lord. When you do that in your life, God will direct you. He will direct your path. And so, and oftentimes he will do direct you in a way that runs contrary to your own understanding. Doesn't matter. He's directed you. Trust in him with all your heart. I think of Serge, you know, who's going to actually, Pastor Serge in Haiti, who we love and know so well, is going to be uh, teaching here from the pulpit next Sunday morning. Um, you know, his story, when he went uh, at the very height of the kidnappings in Haiti, and he had no money, none. He had no commitment of money uh, 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 when he made the decision to go down there, it that that flies in the face uh, of understanding, certainly of his at the time. But he had been called to do it. He had been called to do it. His family and friends were saying, "No, it's not a good time. It's too dangerous." Same thing that Stephanie and I were told from you know by our family members: "Don't move into this city. You can't do that to your kids. It's dangerous. This type of thing. Public schools, Boston Public Schools. Ah, this type of thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. To be sure, God is going to call you to do a lot of things in your life that run contrary to." human understanding or your understanding why because that's where he gets the glory where you cannot explain you can't give a man-made explanation to what is done so on a regular basis god calls his people to to do things that are contrary to understanding why because god wants to be glorified his when his name is glorified this world and our life is so much better off and you say, well, is God on an ego trip or something? Uh, no, not at all. It's just that when he is glorified, everyone is so much better off when his name is glorified. And that's why he calls us to do things that can only be explained with his hand. We need to give God room to work in our life, and he will certainly uh, take advantage of that. So wonderful verses. Uh, everyone should have these uh, memorize. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know, sometime I'm going to get one of the doctors in the church, or I suppose we don't need one of the doctors in the church, or some doctor to come in here and give us a study on the truth of this. When you follow the word of the Lord, it's a healthy thing, and that is just a medical fact. It's just a medical fact. Um, the studies out there on the health effects of homosexuality. I know this is like, I'm not supposed to talk about these things. Actually, I am. The Bible says I'm supposed to. Are devastating. The, uh, the, uh, on the homosexuality uh, the, uh, and its effects on the health of those who participate on, in it. Devastating. The, the effects of a promiscuous lifestyle on any man or woman. Devastating. 
And, and this can be true just through you know, anything, any instruction in, in the Word of God. It's healthy to live by the Word of the Lord. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase. You say, am I supposed to tithe before or after taxes? This makes very clear. It's before. How can it be any clearer? Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase. So if you're setting aside a certain amount of money, let it be your first fruits, not your after fruits. It doesn't say after fruits. It says first fruits. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Now, where is this quoted? All right, very good. So I would have been a little concerned having just finished Hebrews and no one uh, would have known that. Even though when we were in this verse, that was over a year ago, but in Hebrews. <laughs> my son, do not... Dis- no, actually, no, that's not true because this is in chapter 12. So it was like three or four months ago. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So, if you are carrying on a life that is contrary to the word of God, if you're carrying on such a life, and... It's like, wow, another, nothing ever really happens to me. I can just carry on this life and, you know, I seem to be getting away with it. At that point, you need to ask yourself, am I even a child of God? Because the Bible does say that the Lord chastens those who are his children. Verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Now remember, this is written by a guy who had more rubies than anyone could ever dream of having, more gold of anyone could ever dream of having. Remember in the time of Solomon, what does it say? It says silver was like garbage. Like people didn't even care about silver. Well, silver, keep it. I don't even want it. That's what it was like in the reign of Solomon. There was just so much wealth. But he's saying, look, godly wisdom is so much more uh, desirable than any of that stuff. Verse 16, length of days is in her right hand. We've already talked about that. That's just a medical fact. In her left hand, riches and honor. So there is a, is a prospering, even as you seek and live by godly wisdom, there's a prospering in that. Verse 17, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. Verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding He established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds drop down the dew. And so just just an exhortation, really this is almost a three-chapter introduction just on the importance of what he is about to read or what he or she Uh, is going to read in in the chapters after that. Verse 21, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. I read that. 10 to 20% of, of Americans take sleeping pills, which is, uh, by the way, there's studies out there that 
that seem to establish that regular use of sleeping pills is that doesn't even work. It does not improve your performance next day. At least that's what some of the studies are saying. But never, nevertheless, you know, uh, the, the, you know, this country is is very much um, addicted to sleeping pills and 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 dependent really is a better word dependent um, on them. But I have found this to be true. That when you drink in as your regular diet, in addition to your protein shake, you take your, your, your word of God shake every day, that you're, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. How my sleep has improved over the years as I've gotten to know the Lord. As I've gotten to know the Lord. Godly wisdom. Verse 27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. So the book of James also talks about this. When you see something... That you should do, but you don't do it. It is sin. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. This is just good wisdom. There are times, it's starting to get into the Proverbs now. This is a proverb. There are times where, look, we have to, we have to recognize that we have stingy souls. Not only when it comes to money, but our time and our possessions. And sometimes, look, if your neighbor's coming over and they're asking for something and, and you have to give it, you need to just do it right then. Don't delay. Verse 29, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. In other words, there's a safety in numbers. Verse 30, do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. So there is a temptation to become bitter with the oppressor. Who's sort of, for a season you see those who oppress prosper and gain in power. It says do not envy them. Do not envy them. For the perverse person, that word perverse, twisted, crooked, is an abomination to the Lord. So what this is saying here, again, it's another way of saying vengeance is the Lord. Don't envy the oppressor. The Lord will take care of them. What they do is an abomination to him. Verse 33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Again, no need to envy them. God will take care of the biz- that business. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. 